Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let's continue in our series in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we're going to be looking today at verses 43 uh, through 52. Mark 14, 43 through 52. I titled the message for today, Lessons from the Garden. Lessons from the Garden. Uh, Let me just kind of give you some context. Last week we took a break for Mother's Day, which I hope you enjoyed. Um, We are in, again, the last week of Jesus' life it's still Thursday. It's, it's Thursday right before our text for today. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that? Where Jesus is on his knees praying to God. He's sweating blood. He's asking God, God, please remove this cup from me. You know, I don't want to go to the cross, but if it's your will, then so be it. And so Jesus is in the garden and then um, uh, he gets his disciples and he's, he's headed out of the garden uh, towards the people that are going to arrest him and betray them. And, that, and, be, and Judas is going to betray him. And that is where we pick up our, um, our text for today. Uh, I just want to give you context so you, so you kind of get a hold of it. But it says this. It says, and immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Verse 51, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text that you're about to speak to us through. God, I pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit in us, speak to us clearly, speak to us powerfully. May we see the things in this text that that you want us to see, illuminate our hearts and our minds. And God, may we be people who not only sit under your word or hear your word, but also do your word. May we be doers of your word. May we, God, just remove anything um, throughout this week that has caused maybe some worry, some fear, maybe some distraction for today. God, we want to give you our undivided attention, our loyalty, our devotion, both in, in our mind and in our heart today. God, speak to us. Speak to us powerfully through your word. And all of God's people said, amen. All right. I don't know about you, but I want to talk about the naked guy. Like, that's the first thing I want to talk. What's up with the naked guy? Let's just get that out of the way. I want to talk about the naked guy. What is the deal with this naked guy in verse 51 and 52? Well, here's the deal. 
Uh, most scholars and theologians don't really know who this guy is. Most, most say, hey, it's, it's unknown. We don't know who this, this guy is. Now, a lot of people, including myself, actually believe that it's actually Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, and here's why. Um, they believe, a, a lot of scholars and theologians believe that Mark's mom was actually a very wealthy lady. And they believe that because in Acts chapter 12, I, I think, uh, we know that she's wealthy. We know she had a home big enough for a large group of people. And that makes scholars and theologians think that the, the, the Passover that we just studied a few weeks ago was actually celebrated in Mark's home, in Mark's mom's house. So the idea is, and again, they're reading a little bit into it, and that's why we're not completely sure, although it makes sense to me, is that Mark was there at the Passover. Uh, he was probably in another room or so, uh, but uh, they, Jesus and his disciples left after the Passover. They went to the Mount of Olives. You know, they're, they're in the garden, but somehow Mark got wind in the middle of the night because this is taking place in the middle of the night. It's like midnight, it's late. And, and so Mark got wind of what was going on. He was in bed. Probably naked, right? He was in bed naked. And so he got up really, really quick, threw a, uh, just a linen cloth over himself really fast, ran outside in a hurry to see what was going on with Jesus. He found out that he was arrested. And so as everyone's fleeing, uh, Mark is there just with a linen cloth, and he's trying to follow Jesus. And so they try, they try to capture him, and he leaves the linen cloth, and then he just ran away just as he came into this whole world, just naked. And uh, so that's what's going on there. But uh, obviously things are in the Bible, not just because they're in the Bible. But this idea of nakedness uh, in the scriptures, if you remember back to Genesis, has this idea of shame, of shame. And so I think that although we don't know exactly who it is, and maybe I, I do think it's Mark, uh, and that's why he didn't say his name. He's trying to you know, save face. But it has this idea of shame. And so we read in the text in verse 50 that all the disciples left. They fled Jesus. And not only did all the disciples, but this one unknown, possibly Mark, also fled. And so there's this idea of shame behind deserting Jesus. And so that's why that's there. But I just wanted to tackle it because... That's just weird. Like, that's just the weirdest passage in the scripture. I just wanted to get that out of the way and talk about the naked guy first. Okay, let's move on. As I mentioned, um, the title of the message is Lessons from the Garden. Lessons from the Garden. And um, we, we learn from people quite a bit, right? We learn from people quite a bit. We learn from people in two ways, one of two ways. We learn from people um, uh, in regards to what to do, right? When we see someone who we look up to, we admire, they're making really good decisions, wise, godly decisions. Hey, this person, I should probably do what they do, okay? Then on the other hand, we learn from people that are not making good decisions or uh, wise decisions or whatever it is, and we actually still learn from people what not to do. Isn't that true? We learn what to do and what not to do from certain people. And so today, uh, what I want to do is to learn what not to do in our spiritual lives by taking a look at three different groups of people uh, around the arrest of Jesus, and all of these groups, all of these, these three groups responded to Jesus incorrectly. They responded to Jesus incorrectly, and we're going to learn from their mistakes. And here's, there's three, there's three groups, and there's three mistakes, and the first incorrect response to Jesus is this. It's rejection. It's rejection. 
Let's read verse 43 through 46 again to, to get this idea of rejection into our hearts. It says, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. So the first person that we see here in this, in this text that we can learn from what not to do is Judas. Judas rejected Jesus. Judas rejected Jesus by betraying Jesus. Matthew, the other gospel, tells us that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which, is, which was about four months' wages. About four months' wages. I mean, that's what Judas thought about Jesus. That's how much Judas valued Jesus and thought he was worth. Jesus was worth about four months' wages. And so he, re he rejected Jesus by betraying Jesus, but he does it in such a way that was, was unheard of because he, he betrayed him with the kiss. You see, in those times and in, in some cultures now, a kiss is a sign of respect, isn't it? A kiss is a sign of intimacy. A kiss, even between friends and family, it's a sign of honor. In that culture, a, a kiss, especially on the cheek, symbolized deep respect and affection in intimate and close relationships. And so Jesus used that one symbol that symbolizes uh, intimacy and honor and love and devotion for one another. He used that very thing to betray Jesus. So that just speaks of Judas's hardened heart, his dark heart, and his cold heart towards Jesus. I was thinking about Judas for a second when it, when it comes to rejection. Isn't it interesting that Judas spent so much time with Jesus? He spent as much time as the other disciples. Judas heard Jesus' teachings. Judas experienced the same miracles as the other disciples. Judas was there when Jesus calmed the storm. Judas was there when Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Yet Judas still betrayed Jesus. Isn't that interesting? After everything he saw, after everything Jesus has done for him, he still rejected Jesus. Jesus. This was no surprise, though. If you remember a few weeks back when we were talking about uh, Jesus telling his disciples that, they were, that one of them, in, one in the group, was going to betray him. And the disciples went around saying, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? And what did Judas say? Rabbi. He didn't call him Lord. He called him Rabbi. And, and so that's, what, that's, what, that's how Judas viewed Jesus. He was just a rabbi. He was just an ordinary teacher worth four months' wages. That's all he was to Judas. He wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't the, the king. He wasn't Lord. And so it's no surprise that Judas just straight out rejects Jesus after everything he's experienced. And not only does Judas reject Jesus, but the religious leaders and the religious establishment reject Jesus. There are three groups that come to arrest Jesus. Mark tells us it's the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. Now, these three groups make up what, we, what, what they call the Jewish Sanhedrin. 
The Jewish Sanhedrin was like the Jewish Supreme Court. So these guys were religious leaders with a lot of religious and political authority. And so they're the ones that come and arrest Jesus. But if you remember in the Gospel of Mark, as we've been traveling through it, they've been wanting to get rid of Jesus since Mark chapter 3. They've been wanting to kill Jesus for a long time. Since the beginning of Jesus' ministry, they've been wanting to get rid of him. Why? Because Jesus was a threat to them. Jesus was such a threat to them. He was a threat to their reputation. Uh, Jesus drew in greater crowds than the religious leaders. He was a threat to their false teaching and the way they were trying to burden people with more and more laws. He was even a threat to them financially as he goes into the temple and flips over the tables. I mean, that was a huge financial scam by the religious establishment of the day. So Jesus was such a threat to them and they too rejected Jesus. Judas rejected Jesus and the religious leaders rejected Jesus as well. I was listening to a podcast this week by a uh, a Christian apologist named Greg Kukul. And if you are into Christian apologetics, I encourage you to to look him up. He's, He's awesome. His name is Greg Kukul. And, um, uh, and, and, and he was talking about the reasons why in our culture today, as he deals with a lot of people who reject Jesus, you know, he, he's talking about why people reject Jesus. Like, what are the reasons he re- people reject Jesus in our culture? And he gave four of them. And I just want to share them with you. The first is a, uh, a rational rejection. Rational rejection. Uh, they, they don't, uh, a lot of people reject Christianity and they reject Jesus because they can't um, uh, come to terms with some of the claims that the scriptures talk about. Like to say that Jesus is the only way, they're like, no, there's got to be different ways, right? There, there's got to be different ways. Or, or to think through the fact that Jesus died and rose again. I mean, that doesn't make sense. That, that doesn't make sense. Science can't explain it. Or the fact that there's a, a trinity, right? That there's one God, yet three persons in one essence. And so you can't get your mind around that, around that. And so because people can't get their mind around certain things and really rationalize it to, to come to believe in it, they reject Christianity. The second one is an emotional rejection. Maybe it's some church hurt. Uh, maybe they experienced something in a church at one point in their lives and they said, you know what? Christianity can't be real because, man, people hurt me. And it's more of an emotional hurt the way people reject Christianity. We see this a lot even with pastor's kids. They grow up in the church 24-7, right? And they see a lot of things, and then they're like, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. And so it's a, an emotional rejection from some kind of deep pain in their life. Number three, it's a prejudice. It's a prejudice. It's a prejudgment of Christianity. A lot of times, uh, Christianity, true biblical Christianity, gets painted in the worst ways on YouTube or media or uh, or on documentaries, right? Like they take the weirdest and craziest out there people and say, hey, this is Christianity. Everyone's judgmental. Everyone's whatever it is, right? And, And so people have this idea, this prejudgment of what Christians are, and so they reject it. And a lot of times they never really seek to understand what true biblical Christianity is. And number four is rebellion. People just don't want to bend the knee to Jesus. There's rebellion, there's sin. They don't want to surrender their life 
to Jesus, and so they reject Christianity altogether. Uh, that was me uh, as a teenager, as a young adult. I didn't want to give up my life. Jesus was a threat to my fun. Like, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to live in sin because sin is fun. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it. And that was my thing. Just a rebellion, rejection. So I want to talk to you today, whether you're here today physically or whether you're watching online. Or maybe you're going to watch this later. If you haven't accepted Christ, if you haven't truly bowed the knee to Jesus, why have you rejected him? Like, why have you rejected Christ? Do you see him as a threat, just like the religious leaders? A threat to your life, a threat to your plans, a threat to your agenda? Can I ask you today, what if your greatest threat was your greatest blessing? What if the one you are rejecting is the one you really need? What if the one that you think will kill your happiness is the one that can give you eternal joy? What if the one you are unwilling to bow the knee to is the only one that can lift your head during your pain? I'm telling you, God's ways are better. God's plans are better than ours. Don't reject him. Come to him. His ways are better. So Judas, the religious leaders, reject Christ. The second thing we see here is obstruction. Is obstruction or hindering or getting in the way. And it's by one of Jesus' disciples. Verse 47 says, But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. So Mark doesn't tell us who this is, which is really interesting. Mark just says, but one of those who stood. But it's very interesting, though, that he doesn't want to throw his fellow disciple under the bus, but he throws Judas under the bus. He, he calls him a betrayer. That's what he calls Judas. He calls Judas a betrayer. So he's totally cool with throwing Judas under the bus, but he's not going to throw this other disciple under the bus who cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Now, here's the thing. Mark might not throw the other disciple under the bus, but John will. John's like, I know who it was. I'm going to tell you who it was. It was Peter. It's always Peter. Peter's the one that's always messing up. He's a hothead. He acts before he thinks. Like, he just does whatever. John chapter 18, verse 10, it says this. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So Peter pulled the Mike Tyson. I'm talking, he went straight for the ear, man. He went straight for the ear. He pulled the Mike Tyson. I remember that day. I watched that fight. I just, man. So here's the thing. If Peter was going for the ear, if truly, if if Peter was going for the ear, he has the greatest accuracy ever, right? If, he, if Peter was going for the guy's head, he has the worst accuracy ever. So don't hang around Peter a lot. So Peter sees Jesus is getting arrested. 
And he decides to take matters into his own hands, his own hands. He doesn't want to get Jesus arrested. He doesn't want Jesus to suffer. He doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross. And so he says, hey, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take matters into my own hands. You see, for Peter, he still didn't understand that the Messiah had to suffer. Peter didn't understand that. In his worldview, the Messiah wasn't supposed to suffer. The Messiah was supposed to come in and conquer Rome. He was supposed to be this political leader, this military leader. That's not how God's plan was. It was a suffering servant. And Peter couldn't get his mind around that. And so he was trying to stop Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus, again, though, rebukes Peter for attempting to hinder and obstruct Jesus from what he came to do. He's done this before. Peter, with his actions, even though he has good intentions and good, good motives, he's, he's hindering the mission. He, he's hindering God's plan. And he's done this before. Let me give you just a refresher. When Jesus predicted his, his death and resurrection, this is what it says. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. By the way, that's what Jesus is predicting, and that's exactly what's going on in this text. I just want to point that out. And three days again, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So that's the second time Peter has been rebuked by Jesus. Jesus tells him, Hey, guys, I'm going to get crucified. I'm going to die, but I'll, be, I'll rise in, the th in three days. And Peter says, no, Jesus, he begins to rebuke Jesus. You're not going to die. You're not going to get crucified. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. The enemy was using Peter to, again, hinder and obstruct Jesus from accomplishing the mission that he came to do. You see, Peter had a lot of zeal, but he didn't have a lot of knowledge and wisdom. And zeal without knowledge and wisdom is dangerous. It actually could hinder the work of God. It actually could obstruct the work of God. And so Peter was attempting, again, with the right motives, to obstruct, hinder, and hurt Jesus' mission with his actions. The first point of today, rejection, was for those of you that don't know Jesus. The second point is for those of you that do know Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Are you, by your life, your attitudes, your actions, obstructing, hindering, or hurting Jesus's mission with the way you live, with the way you treat people? Are you hindering from people coming to Christ? Are you hurting the name of Christ? Or are you making it easy for people to come to Christ? The people in your circles, are you a positive influence? Are you helping the advancement of the gospel and of the kingdom of God with how you live? Are you obstructing? Are you hindering? You see, believer, 
Listen closely. The world is watching you. The world is watching you, believer. They want to know, they want to know that God is worth, that if God is worth changing their lives for, giving things up for, and living, living radically for, is really going after God really worth it? Is sacrificing really worth it? Is living sacrificially really worth it? And what do they do? And so they look to us. They look to you. They look to those who profess to be Christ followers to see if we're better people, to see if we're happier people, to see if we are more fulfilled and loving people because of who we are in Christ. The world is watching you, believer. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Believer, let your light shine. Let it shine. Let it shine bright in the darkness. Let them see your good works and your good fruit so that they can so that you can make it easier for them to come to Christ. So that you are not a roadblock or a barrier, but an entryway wide open that people could come and find Jesus. Don't be like Peter, obstructing the mission, hindering the mission. But live in such a way that your good works will glorify God and bring people to him. Love people who are difficult to love. It's easy to love people that we love, right? That's easy. Anybody could do that. But Jesus says, hey, let's take it up a notch. We're going to be different. Love the people that don't like you. He says, love your enemies. Let me, let me break. Let me, I hate to break it to you guys, but there might be some people in your life that might not be too fond of you. I know there's a lot of people that don't like me. But Jesus says, hey, we were different. We got to love them. Love your enemies. Love the person who does you wrong at work. Be a person of joy. Every morning when you go to work, every morning when you wake up, you choose joy. Joy is a choice. The people in your life that might irritate you, might take you off, May you treat them with gentleness and patience. May you treat them with care. Be a person of peace in your family, in your friendships, or in your workplace, and everyone's bickering and gossiping and all this stuff and causing drama. You're the person of peace. You stop the gossip right there. You decide to honor people. You live differently. Live differently. Gandhi, the radical reformer of India and devout Hindu, he spent some time working in Africa with Christians. And after he left, do you know what he said? This is what he said. He said, I like your Christ, 
I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's what he said. That's what he said. May that never be said of you. May that never be said of Restoration Church. Hey, I like Christ, but that pastor over there, man, Johnny, ugh, if it wasn't for him, I'd probably be a Christian. Hey, I like Christ and I like his teachings, but Restoration Church, I don't know. May that never be said of us. May that never be said of you. Instead, how awesome would it be to hear people say through the way that you live and treat people, I love your Christ. I love your Christians. You Christians are so like your Christ. That is the goal. That is the goal. To make it easy for people and not to get in the way. Rejection, number one. Obstruction, number two. And lastly, number three, is desertion. Verse 48. And Jesus said to them, you have come out against... You have come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. They deserted Christ, abandoned him, left him. Just a few hours before, what were they saying? We'll never leave you. Not us. We'll never betray you. We would ne- I'm talking hours before. Hours. It wasn't even days. It was hours. And they all left. They all abandoned Jesus in Jesus' most important moment. The pressure was too much for them. The persecution was too much for them. And they fled. Cowardly fled. It reminds me of Mark chapter four, where Jesus is talking about a parable, about a seed and soil. And he says that there's a, a man that goes out to, uh, to sow the seed and he sows it on different soils and it has different responses. And one of those soils is rocky ground or, or shallow ground. And so the seed gets sown into this shallow ground and it quickly, responds to the word of God. That's what the seed is. It responds to the gospel. It responds to God with joy, quickly. But then the pressures of life, the storms of life, the hardships of life, the persecutions of life, the tough circumstances and situations of life cause that person to fall away. Because it's never deeply rooted and they fall away. And that's what happens to the disciples. There's too much pressure, too much persecution, too much temptation, and they fall away. Just like the parable, just exactly like the parable. So, my question for you, believer, is have you deserted? or abandon Christ lately. You can't fall away completely, believer. Rest assured of that, of your salvation. But have you slowly drifted away 
I've noticed in my own personal life, maybe this is true for you, that two things cause us to fall away from Christ, to leave him, to abandon our time with him. One, it's the storms of life like we saw the disciples. And two, it's sin. The storms of life and sin cause us to drift away and abandon Christ. But isn't it so interesting though that those are the two things that should draw us closer to Christ. The storms in our life should cause us to come to him and be completely dependent upon him. Do you know why the disciples drifted? Because they were self-dependent. Remember, I'm not going to fall away. I could do it. I'll never do that. What were they doing when Jesus was praying? Sleeping. They were not dependent on Christ. They fell away. But it's the storms of life and even sin in our life. We are saints who sin. There's still sin in our life. But those two things shouldn't draw us away from Christ. It should draw us to him to receive forgiveness and grace and mercy and strength in those times of need. And so what's the opposite of deserting Christ? What's the opposite of abandoning Christ, believer? It's abiding in him. It's remaining in Christ. John chapter 15, verse five says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides or remains in me and I in him, he is, it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Instead of departing, instead of neglecting your time with God because he think he's gonna judge you or you think he can't help you, may you remain in him. May you abide in him. May you run to him for forgiveness and grace and strength and mercy and hope, joy, whatever you need. Don't drift, don't fall away. Don't let the storms of life choke out the seed in you, the word of God in you. Remain in him. So here's my last encouragement, church. Very simple. My encouragement to you today is to accept Christ and not reject him. If you are not a believer, when you come to him, surrender your life to him. Commit your entire ways to him. I'm telling you, it changes everything. Jesus changes everything. I encourage you to be helpful and not hurtful to the mission of God. I encourage you to abide in Christ and not abandon him. And ultimately, last thought, look to Jesus as your example of what to do. I give you some examples of what not to do. Look to Jesus as your example of what to do. Notice this, Jesus in the garden didn't reject the will of the Father. He didn't reject it, but he obeyed it willingly. Jesus didn't hinder God's plan of salvation, but advanced it sacrificially with his life. Jesus didn't flee the will of the Father in times of hardship. Think about it. He was tempted to, 
He was tempted to, God, if you could remove this cup from me, please, not, but not my will, your will. Jesus didn't flee the will of the Father, but went towards the cross, fulfilling the plan of the Father. Look to Jesus as your example to how to live. Accept, accept him. Remain in him. And live for the mission of God. Seek the kingdom of God first. Let us pray. God, we love you. We love your word. We thank you for this simple text that teaches us, God, that you're not, you're not our greatest threat, you're our greatest blessing. And that your word says that if we come to you, you will not reject us. And so I pray if there's anyone here today you would draw them by the power of your spirit and give them new life in you as they repent and place their faith in you. I pray for believers today. They would be people that would shine their light, that the world, their neighbors, their coworkers, their family and friends, would see their good works, would see their good fruit and want what they have, which is you, Jesus. I pray that believers would remain in you, would abide in you through prayer, through perseverance, the study of your word, if anyone just feels away from you, God, as I was talking about, maybe leave even a little shameful, spiritually naked, just ashamed of being so far and they feel like they can't come back. May we just remember the story of the prodigal son. It's a picture of you, God, with arms wide open, running towards your children. There is no shame. There's no condemnation in you, Christ Jesus. We honor you. We honor your word. Strengthen your people through your spirit and through your word. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.